Good morning, church. My name is Marcella Latanzi, and I have been going to Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church for about over 10 years now, and I'm going to be doing the scripture reading about kindness in Galatians and in Matthew. But first, I'd like to share a story about my friend who was a wonderful example of kindness because when I was going to college and I didn't have a car, she would take not only me, but some of our other friends to church every single Sunday. And she did it without ever complaining or ever bickering or ever asking for more or um, asking us to be on time. And I never heard her complain ever. And it was always fun car rides and we always had really great lunches after. And I will forever remember those adventures to church. And later she told me that she actually prayed for God to use that car as an instrument for ministry work and for kingdom work. And it was so obvious that God heard her prayer and answered it very well and gave her a very kind heart that did not complain and was very forgiving and generous. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to read us through Galatians 5, 1, and then Galatians 20, Galatians 5, 22 through 25. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then 22 through 25 reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And next is Matthew 21 through 16, which reads, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. 
Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you to Marcella for that great reading. We are, as you may know, in uh, the fruit of the Spirit this summer. That is our one focus as we go through these nine, ten weeks, actually, of looking through this passage in Galatians. And uh, it's fair to say, I think, that a lot of people, when they look at Christianity from the outside and they study it a little bit, and maybe they look at the fruit of the Spirit as we keep listing them, Christianity is not that attractive, and that's partly because it just feels like too much moral heavy lifting. It seems like a big program of of, um, ethical self-reform or something. And they look at these nine qualities and they go, oh my goodness, it's not just one or two things I've got to work on, it's nine things I've got to work on? That's a lot of, that's a lot of work, it's a lot of renovation. There is a, uh, a YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly that I'm not sure I'm going to recommend to you or not, um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a documentary filmmaker who lives in Skid Row in Los Angeles and he rents a little room in a studio, I think, down there. And then he goes out into the streets of Skid Row and he finds these interesting people that he then brings back to the studio and he conducts these really long-form interviews with them. And these are people that, as you might imagine, have every form of really tough background. There are um, criminals of every variety, people that have been lifelong drug addicts, but he listens to them in these long interviews. And at some point he usually asks them something like, do you ever think about getting out of this life? And more or less, every single one of these people say, I don't know how I would. It's, it's, it's too hard. This is all I know. I've been grooved in this way. It's, in other words, it's too much heavy lifting. It's, I don't know how to renovate myself that much. And I think in lesser ways, any of us can really look at these fruit of the Spirit and say, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. It's not my personality. It's not the way I've been brought up. It's, I'm, I'm just not a good person like this. And the challenge just feels too high. And I think the first thing we have to say, I mean, which we should be saying to people like that, and especially if that's you, is that thankfully that is not how Christianity operates. It is actually not primarily a program of moral or ethical self-reform. It is not first a story about a heavy lifting uh, self-improvement program that we undertake. These are The Bible keeps saying to us, especially as we read it every time, these are fruit of the Spirit, the Scripture says. Let's not forget that important phrase. These are fruit of the Spirit. These are the works of the Spirit of God inside of a person who creates these fruit. We can't really hit this hard enough because otherwise every one of these sermons, you'll start to hear it as a moral self-reform lesson. And so, The reminder of the Bible is that God, the Holy Spirit, he is the active agent of change in our life if we experience change. He is the prime mover. He is the creator of these fruit. Basically, a Christian is a person who has a supernatural fruit farmer living within you. As I said a couple weeks ago, we are spirit haunted if we are Christians, but it's a good haunting because he's in there doing good things internally to us uh, and for us and through us. Now, Jesus Christ himself had all nine of these fruit of the Spirit. Jesus Christ was kind. Jesus Christ was all of these other fruit. Jesus was the perfect person, the Bible would tell us. And so the good news is that the Holy Spirit is within us, 
making us over into the image of this Jesus Christ with all nine of these qualities, bit by bit, sometimes painfully slowly, certainly over the course of a lifetime, imperfectly, yes, but it is the Spirit's work to make us into one who is like Christ. Now, how does this happen, though? Because there's going to be someone else who just heard that last couple of paragraphs of mine and said, oh, I see how it happens. You've made it quite clear, Brian. Thank you. Um, Isn't it this? Christianity is essentially, it's a passive religion. I get it. Thank you. I'm off the hook. All I got to do is just kind of set up my spiritual Adirondack chair and then pour myself a spiritual margarita and just watch as someone else tends and grows the fruit for me. It'll just bloom right in front of me. Passivity. But that's not right either, because we, and we know this because of all of the action verbs in Galatians chapter 5. It's bristling with action verbs that are pointed at us, actually. Chapter 5, verses 16 to 25 in particular, commands us. It says things like, walk by the Spirit. It says things like, live by the Spirit. It says things like, keep in step with the Spirit. These are action verbs. They're imperatives, and they're for us to obey and to follow. There is something for us to do. So the Christian life is, if you can keep this all in your head, it is both passive and active. It is easy and hard. It is resting and striving. Now, is there some paradox in all this? You bet there is. (laughs) Somebody once said that Uh, The history of heresy in the Christian church over the years is merely the attempt of a person every now and then to try to resolve paradoxes that the Bible itself is quite comfortable not resolving. And that might be a way to think about how the Spirit grows fruit in us. We can't resolve the paradox between action and resting. Um, They're both in there. But what we can at least say this in terms of the main themes, we can say God, the Holy Spirit, is always the prime mover. He opens our eyes, and then we see and believe in response. He opens our ears to his word, and then we hear and we respond to his word. He frees our will from its chains, and then we, seeing that the the chains have been knocked off our feet and, and our wrists, we get up and we serve in response to that prime moving of grace. So that's, um, that's about as much as we can say about the mechanics of it in a way, but let's get into kindness in particular and see how we can tease this out further, because that's where we are this week. It's the fruit of the Spirit known as kindness. Uh, the most recent big-time billing that kindness might have received in our broader culture is in the form of a popular bumper sticker. Does anyone know what I'm going to say here? It was probably most popular about 10 years ago, I admit, but it's the, the, the sticker that goes... And you can fill, you can complete my sentence if you like. Practice random kindness and senseless acts of beauty. <laughs> uh, practice random kindness and senseless acts of beauty. It's, um, it's a great bumper sticker as far as it goes. And it's, so it is a kind of heroizing of kindness. But this sermon sort of might be kind of a 2.0 version of that bumper sticker in that what we're really saying here and what Paul is urging us is to practice deliberate kindness. <laughs> not just random kindness, practice uh, purposeful kindness. As the fruit of the Spirit, kindness grows in us, we become people who are routinely kind. 
we, we become kind to unlikely recipients of kindness, not merely randomly, but as a style of life. Well, what does kindness then mean? When I got into the Galatians texts, I always like to do a little bit of uh, Greek language work just to see if there's something that the English is not communicating to us that might be helpful to know. And so the, uh, the Greek word for kindness here is chrysotes, which I would, have, I would love to have told you, Annette, right about this point, that upon digging a little bit, I discovered there was some amazing nuance of the Greek that just does not come through in the English. And some use, uh, tell you about some ancient uses of the word chrysotes by Plato or Aristotle that would give you a whole different angle on this text. But uh, it turns out kindness just means kindness. <laughs> it means what you think it means. It's, it's some kind of um, combination of uh, generosity and selflessness, especially giving to those that might not necessarily receive it or might, uh, would have no chance of paying you back. The, the vineyard owner parable that you had read to you, that is a story, among other things, of the kindness of the vineyard owner who ends up paying some of these workers more than they would have expected out of kindness and generosity and grace. Um, that's what kindness is. Uh, you might, depending on English translations that you've seen before today, you might have seen a couple different other English words that are used right here. And so we can say that really the Greek, it's some quality of the intersection of gentleness, goodness, generosity. And you might ask, is it, oh, is this the same as, as niceness? Is this is nice, being nice a fruit of the Spirit? And uh, I mean, Christians should be nice. I think we can say that, full stop. Uh, but biblically, though, it's, it is a, it's a stronger word than just nice. Uh, it's a stronger word than polite because of this um, giving and even sacrificial giving quality to it. Uh, amazingly, there's an Abraham Lincoln quote that sets apart kindness from some of these other uh, nearly similar words. Abraham Lincoln says that kindness is the only service that will stand the storm of life and not wash out. It will wear well and will be remembered long after the prism of politeness or the complexion of courtesy has faded away. And what he's doing is he's taking a, a few words that are similar to kindness, in this case, politeness and courtesy. We could also add niceness here. And those are somewhat outward-facing, but maybe temporary or somewhat shallower words. They're good as far as they go. But kindness is deeper, it's richer, it's more relentless. It is a, uh, a quality of character that describes someone who is giving of themselves in a way that makes lasting changes in the lives of others. Well, that said, we might ask, uh, do we want to be kind? Do we want to be people who grow in kindness? And I only bring that up because when I looked at the fruit of the Spirit, some of the qualities there are more obviously appealing uh, than others in our particular cultural moment. And I, I would say, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but on that list, kindness might be the most iffy when it comes to a universally praised trait in a person. And I'm saying that because kindness is, I'm using it as a virtue, but David Brooks has this uh, distinguishing categories between resume virtues and eulogy virtues, if you've heard this before. Kindness is not really a resume virtue. Meaning you don't list kind, when you're trying to get a job, you don't put that on the top. Brian Kay is a kind minister and therapist who seeks a position as blah, 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 blah. I'm not job hunting, by the way. Um, 
it's a good, <laughs> it's a good quality, but it, it, you might not list it as a resume. You might hope it would be a eulogy virtue, meaning when you died. When I die, I hope someone will stand up and say, whatever else that man was, he was kind. Uh, I would like that to be true. But a resume virtue is, well, kindness is, according to the Bible, it should be a resume virtue. In other words, kindness is not something that we want to just um, cordon off as some kind of um, a little bit sweet and sentimental quality that a person might have. Maybe, um, you know, it's the little old ladies from Pasadena, to use that phrase, they have kindness, but I'm a titan of industry. Kindness is, I wouldn't be kind. I mean, I'm, I'm forceful, not... Uh, you know, kindness is a universal trait that all of us should aspire to. It's not a specialist trait. It's not something that some people have in a unique way that makes them sweet. It is something that makes us more human. And to put it quite bluntly, um, if you're not kind to that degree, you're not fully human. Jesus Christ, the perfect person, was overflowing with kindness. The most human human who ever lived, Jesus Christ, was... Um, just relentlessly kind. As he walked through Galilee and Judea, he would be interrupted by people and he would stop and deal with them. He would touch those who were untouchable. He would speak kind words to those who had never had a kind word spoken to them in their life. Jesus Christ, the perfect person, he's God in the flesh, which means he had none of our failings, but as a perfect human, he is the archetype to which we are approximating as the Spirit builds these qualities in us. So let's all aspire uh, to have kindness everywhere, in all, in all places, in all interactions with people. I think it might be that you, as you get a little bit older, this gets easier by God's grace. Uh, there's a, another great quote from Abraham Heschel who <laughs> admits, he says that when I was young, I admired clever people. Now that I am old, I admire kind people. And as I read that quote, I thought, I get that. I, and when I was 18 to 20, I did not aspire to be kind. I aspired to be awesome <laughs> uh, or great or talented in various ways. But you soon, as you get older, you start to see that those qualities are nice to have, but kindness has a resonance and a depth um, that will remind you of Jesus the more you get to know Jesus. So if you're slowly becoming convinced that kindness is a, a quality worth growing in, we should then ask practically, what is our role said at the beginning, there is some role for us in this, even though it is the Spirit's work fundamentally. What is the role? I want to borrow a principle from my previous sermon two weeks ago, if that's all right with you, <laughs> um, because it's been guiding me as we go through the summer. It's a biblical principle about how really anyone's character is formed, and it goes like this. You become what you worship. You become what you worship, or to put it another way, you start to resemble that which or who which you gaze upon. And to put it really simply, you start to act like those that you hang out with. You become what you worship. You resemble that which you gaze upon. You start to act like those who you spend time with. In the history of Christian spirituality, the 2,000-year developing history of, those, of, of the practices of those that have grown into God, there's something called the beatific vision that is very close to this idea. And the beatific vision means the way in which a believer in God has a vision of God 
gazes upon God, and in that vision and gaze comes the transformation of their own character. The old use of the visio Dei, the beatific vision, was that one day only at the return of Christ will we have this completely, will we see him as he is. But we can see him in the ways that he reveals himself now. And in our disciplined gazing upon him, we become like him. So I would say this, if you want to become kind, you have to continually and relentlessly look upon God. Look upon Jesus the one who gives us God most visibly demonstrated. I've got two, I hope, practical ways to increase our gaze upon God to suggest to you here. And it's these two things. To grow in kindness, you've got to grow at looking at God in creation and then looking at God in salvation. And that's the big practical move toward the close here. What does it mean to gaze at God in creation, like I'm saying? Well, there's another place where Paul was speaking to an audience in the town of Lystra in modern-day Turkey. His audience would have been uh, non-Jewish pagans, meaning they had no real knowledge of even the Old Testament. Uh, So everything is coming out of Paul's mouth. Paul's building toward Jesus Christ, but there's there's almost no shared common ground religiously. And so he starts by pointing pointing their gaze at creation. And he's more or less saying, If you want to get to know the God that I'm talking about, let me first um, find our common ground, which is the natural order. And the verse I'm referring to in particular is Acts 14, 17. And Paul says there, He, God, God has shown kindness, kindness, by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So Paul is saying, I want to tell you about this God, and he's, number one, he's a God of kindness. That's the first thing I want you to know about him. He's kind. And if you don't believe me, well, he wouldn't say it that way. He'd say, he wouldn't be that antagonistic. He'd say, um, let me start to make my case for his kindness. Look around you and notice, have you been a farmer? Have you ever received a harvest at the end of your long work? That's God's kindness to you. Have you ever noticed rain on your fields just at the right time, such that your crops were able to go up? The rain was God's kindness to you. Have you ever been with your friends and noticed you had food on platters at a table? That food, wherever it occurs, is God's provision and kindness to you. Have you ever noticed joy in your heart? Maybe at that same meal, you're laughing with your friends and your family. That joy, even that internal sense of happiness that you might not have thought was a religious anything at all, that's actually also a gift of God's kindness to you. God's kind to everyone in his world, even to those who are outside his covenant, even to those who are outside of belief in him actively. And Paul is saying, even to us, look at creation. Look at every good gift that comes down from the Father of lights, to quote another passage. All of these things that are good in any way in your life are evidence of his kindness to you. There's a um, a William Blake... uh, stanza that I almost memorized. I can't even remember if I shared it with you folks or not before, but I can't, I didn't memorize it, so I'm going to read it to you. But um, I'll just set it up in this way. William Blake knew something, I guess, about seeing the hand of God's glory and kindness in nature. And here's how he described that movement from nature to thoughts of God. He said, how sweet I roamed from field to field and tasted all the summer's pride till I the prince of love beheld, who
who in the sunny beams did glide. Um, if that flew by you too quickly, it's William Blake. He's out in a garden. He's looking at the plants. He's looking at the sunny beams come down in the height of summer, the full blossom of the beauty of summer and all the smells and the flowers and the everything. And he is beholding them long enough until he realizes that he's also, his eyes are raised up to the Prince of Glory who himself is gliding between the beams of the sun, as it were. It's not so different than Bart's opening illustration with uh, the great telescope image that we have this week. Can you see the kindness of God in the beauty of nature wherever it occurs? Um, discipline yourself to do so. Open your eyes to it. And then opening our eyes to the kindness of God in salvation. Um, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 has the greatest other kindness verse, I almost think, in the New Testament. And it ties it to God's kindness in giving us Jesus Christ as Savior. And Paul says there, When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. When the kindness and love of God appeared. So Paul is saying, when Jesus Christ came, that is the full uh, expression. It is the, is the rising up of a plan of kindness that had begun millennia earlier that culminates now finally in the incarnation and the arrival of Jesus and his earthly ministry and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. That whole, that whole Jesus event, including all of that, is the overflowing of God's kindness. Why is that kindness? Because we need a Savior. We're all living on skid row, in a sense. That's the Bible's view of humanity. No matter how much you think you've made it, no matter how much you think you're miles and miles away geographically and financially and socially from skid row, the Scripture's conviction for us to receive is that we all need someone to rescue us, utterly rescue us. We need a divine someone to stop and to stoop down and to give us a healing touch and to give us a morsel of bread uh, and a cup of wine. <laughs> uh, we need someone to forgive us. We need someone to rescue us. We need someone to give us uh, status as children instead of being orphans forever. We need someone to put us in his gentle and good kingdom. And in Jesus Christ, we have all of those things. And we have those things because of the kindness of the God, the Father, who sent his Son. I'll leave you with that. You know, how do you grow in this? If a, tree, if a tree is rooted in the right soil, it will naturally grow. And if we are rooted in Jesus Christ by faith, by repentance, by turning toward him again and again, um, if we're nurtured by gazing upon him, both in creation and in salvation, then we will naturally grow the fruit of the Spirit. We will be kind like he is kind. Um, let's pray, shall we? Let's pray John Stott's prayer as we've been doing. Heavenly Father, we pray that this day we might live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, we pray that this day we may take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, we pray that this day you will fill us with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. Amen.